Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. We are continuing our January and February worship series on the hurtful things Christians say. And again, these are not things that we intend to be hurtful. That's an entirely different worship series. This is, are the hopes that we have that we are going to be able to use our words as a manifestation of God's goodness to provide wisdom and insight, sometimes to educate or encourage or to equip people to get through some difficult time. Sometimes we're trying to actually convey compassion and love, but when we fall into a rut and simply repeat things, the occasions can come where we fail to recognize that the meaning might have changed or that the circumstances and the context that the people hear it are in actually makes them feel worse. And so as people who strive to go on to perfection in our love, it's appropriate for us to stop and go, are we actually conveying what we're trying to speak? Is the words and the meditations of our mouths reflecting the heart of Jesus Christ? And so one of the things you might hear people say is God is testing you, right? Because there's nothing you like to hear more when things are going really bad than to hear that God apparently thinks that this is going to be a good experience for you because it doesn't really feel really good right now, right? And it's an attempt to try to say, you know, something good can come out of this. I think that's a different articulation, though. I don't believe that God sends us bad stuff. I don't believe that. I believe that God actually wants us to experience the goodness of life. And I'll be honest with you, in the United Methodist Church, there is no doctrine, there is no policy about testing, about whether or not it comes from God. It is part of our polity, the way we organize ourselves, to test certain things in the church. For instance, when you articulate to the church, I believe that I am called to ordain ministry, then the church says, well, we're going to need to test that. As they don't believe you, but because they need to make sure that the, the call that you are articulating is for the United Methodist Church. Perhaps the call that you are feeling is not actually to this denomination or, or to this means by which we are in the United Methodist Church. And so they will test that call. And then for those who produce the fruit and for those who are able to articulate that call and through the process of discernment and um, it's a very long gauntlet that we run in order to be ordained through that if they discern that you are called to the united methodist church then they will ordain you they don't turn around and go god's not calling you you're crazy or god's not calling you you're clearly mistaken instead the response is we have tested it and you are not called to the united methodist church you clearly have distinguished a call. You have clearly discerned this. However, it's not for this church. The church affirms your call to be in the church. doesn't say you're crazy. But I will confess to you that I do not believe that God tests us. I don't believe that. And I can show you scripture that will tell you why I don't believe that, but we'll get there in a second. Because some of you are going, wait a second, there's testing in the Bible. You're absolutely correct. And Jesus actually talks about testing very briefly in today's scripture. But if you pay attention, you'll notice that Jesus doesn't attribute that testing to God. Jesus says that testing happens, that in a time when we are tested, that we might fall away if we don't have the word of God securely in an open and honest heart, a committed heart. And so as Jesus is saying that, I know that there are people who test me daily, right? My son likes to test me almost daily. And I don't think they get up in the morning and God says, okay, Luke, everything your mother says to you today, don't do it and let's see what happens. 
I know Luke thinks that's what happens, but I'm pretty sure that that's not how that works. And so sometimes we, through our own sinfulness or our disobedience, sometimes we provide the means by which we are tested. But there are places in Scripture that talk about testing, and some of you might go immediately to one of the most infamous, which is in Job. Now, in the book of Job, the story actually starts out that God is having a conversation with Hasatan. In Hebrew, that means the Satan, which is adversary. It's actually a role. We'll get into the evolution of the devil in Christianity some other day when you really have nothing else to do because it's going to take all day to do that. But that is something that I've taught before. And in the Judaic and ancient Israelite understanding of the Satan's role, the idea was that, you, that Satan was supposed to test the things that are said to make sure that nobody is slandering God. And if you go back to the beginning of Job, you find that God is bragging about Job. Job is so great. Job is so wonderful. Have you seen my servant Job? You just said you were on earth. Surely you took time to notice Job. And the Satan says, you know, I ha yes, I have. Um, you talk about Job all the time. Clearly he's, you know, kind of your favorite. Um, but I'm not really sure that Job is so awesome because Job is independently awesome. Maybe Job is so amazing because you blessed Job. I mean, you have richly blessed Job. If Job wasn't so blessed, do you really think that Job would continue to love you and bless your name? And so the Satan is actually the catalyst for the testing. God says, yes, I'm sure. And the Satan says, well, let's find out. And so they have this testing that goes on for many, 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 many chapters as they discuss this. So really, even there, the idea to test doesn't come from God. It comes from somebody else in the scriptures. And then, even in my Bible study this past Thursday, we were reading in the book of Jeremiah that it says that God articulates through the prophet it has never entered my mind that you should sacrifice your child. That's how abominable that practice is. And I would never have you sacrifice your child, to which certain people in my Bible study immediately went, time out, whoa, Abraham and Isaac. I was like, perfect, let's have this discussion. Because some of you might go, well, didn't God in the book of Genesis tell Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? Well, there's some inconsistencies in that story anyway, but yes, in the story, it does record that Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac and that it was stopped and that God said through the angel, now I know, right, as if God is not omniscient and didn't know before, but now I know that you are faithful to me and then offers up a ram instead of his son. But part of the issue that comes up in that moment is this. We are trying to discern when we read scripture, and in the United Methodist Church, we don't believe that every word of scripture is infallible. We don't believe that. We are not fundamentalists in our view of scripture. We believe that scripture is the inspired word of God. That is actually our official doctrine. It is the inspired word of God. God didn't write it physically, but instead God conveyed it, inspired it, created it, and asked human vessels to write that. And when you write something, through a human vessel, or you want a human vessel to convey something, you are going to get the flavors, the thoughts, and sometimes the faults of the vessel. How many of us have delegated something to somebody else, and you look at it and you go, okay, well, it's passable, I would have done it better, or that wouldn't have looked that way if I did it. Or sometimes you go, wow, that's actually better than what I had thought. But sometimes we recognize that even if it turns out better, that it's not a parallel, right? I had an idea, I've tasked it to you, and it never, almost never comes out exactly as I thought it would be if I did it myself. And scripture is somewhat like that. That's why we have four different gospel accounts and not just one, because you have four different vessels of experience conveying how they heard, saw, and lived according to what Jesus said and did. 
We have plurality in experience, which makes us recognize that not everything is going to perfectly agree in Scripture. So I think that this idea of testing is definitely biblical. Ascribing everything that we experience negative to God, I think, is troubling. I don't think that that's necessarily good. And there's nothing that somebody who is experiencing earthly pain and suffering and trial and tribulation wants to hear more than, God loves you so much that God is making you really miserable right now. That's a new one to me. You know, I've heard God loves me so much that God sent God's only son to suffer and die for me. I've heard that God loves me so much that God is willing to send vessels of blessing and grace so that I might be edified and encouraged to get through this, right? Patience and endurance. That These are things that God strengthens us to do. The entire point of testing is to see if you have the correct knowledge, to see if you can apply what you have learned. That's why we have testing in schools. That's why we have testings to get into colleges and universities. And the whole idea is that I will test you to see if you've learned what you need to do to progress, right? That's the idea. So let's take this moment to go, well, maybe God is the tester. Let's, let's wadire that for a moment. God is the one who is testing us. If that is so, God has zero confidence in your ability to pass. Zero. Because God didn't give us a study guide. God gave us the answer book. God said, I don't even need to like, have them ponder things. I'm going to give them the answers exactly. And in fact, God says, I'm even going to tell you the questions on the test. The questions are this. There are 613 commandments. I have listed all of them for you within the first five books. You can find them in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I have given them to you. You can learn them. Now, most Christians struggle with the 10. Try 613, right? And so God said, well, hmm, you know, um, and just to encourage you to learn the 613, I will then have multiple books afterwards that talk to you about how people didn't do the 613. They didn't learn and they didn't listen. And what happens when you don't follow my commandments, and you don't answer the questions on the test very well. And then if that doesn't go very well, I'll add a whole bunch of prophetic books about me sending people to tell you to learn the material and pass the test, which we know that that doesn't really go very well because then we have the New Testament, right? So where God said, you know what? I gave you the answer book. I even sent my people to tutor you, and it didn't seem to work very well. So let's try this. I will come and take the test for you. I will take the test. I will come in Jesus Christ. I will take the test for you because I know that you can't pass the test without me. I know that. And in fact, some of you seem to be having struggles with 613. People tried to make it 10. That didn't work very well. So how about we make it two? Can we learn just two questions and two answers? Right? And here it is. You must love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Right? Two questions, two answers. Can you do it? Apparently not. Because the cross is the reminder that we don't have to pass a test. God says to us, you cannot do this alone. You cannot. And I don't want you to do it alone. What the Bible accurately records is that for generation after generation, for thousands and thousands of years, God has not wanted humankind to do it alone. God has been endeavoring to be in a relationship with all of us, individually and collectively, seeking to help us through those times of trial, sending us words of comfort, sending us words of assurance, helping to inspire and guide and guard us. God doesn't expect us to do this alone. 
Instead, God says, you're not going to be able to do it. God, who is fully powerful and all-knowing, knows that we aren't going to do it. That's why Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, because none of us could do it. But we are human beings, and we experience trials. I told you my son's one of my favorite test givers. There are many people who experience times where our perseverance, our endurance, our willingness to continually day after day, moment after moment, encounter after encounter, and sometimes conversation after conversation, struggle to stay centered in Jesus Christ. Because it's hard. Because people push and prod and poke at you. People will constantly have their sin made manifest, and then you will have to figure out what you do with that sin. Are you going to engage with your own sin or are you going to choose to respond like Jesus Christ? And the good news is that should you fail to respond like Jesus Christ, Jesus has already taken the test. And Jesus says, my forgiveness is yours. The answer to the test is, I believe that Jesus took that test and I believe that his passing is sufficient for me. I have faith in his test that he took on my behalf. And not just on my behalf, but on all of our behalves. On the behalf of every human being that was, is, or ever will be. That his success is ours. And that by the blood of the cross, we are forgiven. That's the testimony. But we also recognize that sometimes... When we're struggling to figure out what that looks like, we have to kind of go back and, and discern through text, and you will find plenty of texts that talk about testing. You'll also find plenty of times where Jesus recognizes that people are going to fail. Tells Peter that. Peter's like, I will never leave you. And Jesus is like, really? Three times before the cock crows. Jesus recognizes that we're going to fail, and he doesn't go, you know what, you failed, get out. He doesn't do that. In fact, Jesus knows that even after thir three years of earthly ministry and relationship and powerful encounters and witnessing of miracles and tasting the bread and the fishes and experiencing all of this, that after all of these miraculous things, that when Jesus is nailed to the cross, they will run screaming in fear and they will hide themselves in a little room and just hope that it all goes away. Jesus knows that this is going to happen. But he also knows that at the end of this journey with them in his earthly ministry is the cross, and he will succeed. He knows this, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't accept the fact that it's going to be difficult. He accepts that it is going to be painful, that being both fully human and fully divine, this is not going to be a pleasant experience. That window catalogs the fact that he knew it was going to be bad. So bad, he was like, can we time out for a minute? There might be a different way. I'm not really sure that the humanity in me wants to do this. But the divinity overrides it and says, you know what? Your will be done. If this is the way that everyone passes the test, then here I am, Lord, send me. Jesus doesn't shirk his duty as God. Jesus refuses to let our ability to enter into the kingdom to come and bask with God for all eternity to rest on us. That's a bad investment. We are a people that can do incredible things individually and collectively. We are a people that have changed the trajectory of human history because of our faith. But we have also failed in massive ways. The church of Jesus Christ across denominations has continually failed the test. 
I offer to you evidence such as not one, not two, but three different crusades that killed more Byzantine Christians than Muslims. I offer to you the sex scandal of the Roman Catholic Church, that there are times where we as clergy fail to choose people over a system. That's a failure. There are plenty of times in the history of the church that we have chosen segregation and slavery over unity and selflessness in the body of Christ. We are a people that have and will continue to fail individually and collectively. But once we recognize and we repent of our sin, Jesus has passed the test and offers us all of the celebration and the glory and the goodness from that success. His triumph is ours because he gives it to us. And so we have to take time to recognize that. So what do we do when we're trying to encourage people to persevere through this time? What do we do when we feel that response coming up in us? God's testing you. Which, first of all, I don't know that I would put something on God unless I knew for sure that it was from God. You can get into a lot of trouble doing that, right? God forbid my kid should turn to me and say, you remember how you spent all of that time and, and energy washing my laundry and then you brought it down to me and I left it in the basket and then one of the dogs got in the basket and rolled all around the laundry? Well, that was God and God is testing you. I was like, I'm going to introduce you to God in about three minutes and say nice things at your funeral. Right? No, we don't claim that. Instead, we recognize that I, as your parent, whom you should honor and obey, has told you to do something and you didn't do it. And now we're both going to be penalized with that because guess who's going to do laundry again? Guess who's now going to have to go through this process again and we're going to talk about this again and uh, this time I'm going to make sure the chihuahua doesn't get in the laundry and you are going to fold your laundry timely, right? We're going to try this again because Jesus Christ died so that you can try it again. Jesus Christ died so that you and I don't hate each other and never talk again because you've messed up the laundry. Jesus Christ died because we recognize that relationship is more important than being right. And so we are going to try again because Jesus Christ made it possible. So when we are trying to edify and encourage people, perhaps what we ought to be saying is, you know what? Let me hear. Let me hear how bad it is. I'm not going to try to fix it yet. I'm, I'm just, let me just be here and acknowledge how horrible this is. It's okay to throw that at God. It's okay. This entire book catalogs people complaining, right? And not only do they complain for mostly 66 books of the Bible, but there's actually a book where it's okay to scream and cry and complain. It's called Lamentations, and you are welcome to do it. You are welcome to do it. When you are upset, when, when the sins of this world and the natural evil of the environment, when those things are visited and you become aware of them or you encounter them, it is okay to cry out about that. And the body of Christ should receive it. It's one thing to cry it out to God. It's another to have a living vessel with you who says, you know what, lay it on me. Let me hear it. Let me not fix it for a second, but let me just acknowledge, wow, that's terrible. That's awful. You know, I'm in awe that you're even here. How can I help? How can we as the body of Christ uphold you as you're struggling? If you feel like you can't keep your head above water, what can we do to lift you up and to help you feel like, you know what? I might be treading water, but at least I have a pedestal underneath me that'll help me to, from going all the way under 
that God has sent people and a church, the body of Christ, to ensure that I am not going to drown under this burden, that I am going to find a way to get through because Jesus Christ has assured me that salvation is mine. So we have to work on our response. We have to work on our language. And sometimes our response isn't even verbal. Sometimes our response is, you know what? I don't know that I can fix that right now. I don't know. But I'm here with you. I'm not going to walk away from you. When things are really bad, it's not like this is just you and Jesus and the rest of us are just going to take three big steps back and see what happens. Instead, I'm here with you too. Together we can get through this. Jesus didn't send the apostles out one by one. Jesus sent them out in pairs. And even when they failed, he came back, they came back to him. He fixed it, didn't he? Jesus doesn't expect you to suffer and die alone. Jesus doesn't expect you to cave under the pressure of everything. Jesus set up sacraments and baptism and communion to assure us that when we fail, when we falter, when we have moments where we're like, you know what, I don't know that I can do this anymore, that God is not only present with us, but equipping us and empowering us and reminding us that we are forgiven. We're forgiven. We are absolutely able to be forgiven because we're not going to pass this test on our own. If there's a test, we're not making it. The bell curve doesn't exist because we're all going to fail. We need the grace of God. No person, with the lone exception of Jesus Christ, is perfect. Never. And God recognizes that time and time again, that in the Old Testament especially, it talks about the failures. You know, yeah, there was that Goliath moment for David, but ooh, don't get into Uriah and Bathsheba. There are moments where people that God loves very much fail miserably to apply what they have learned, to cling to God rather than themselves. And ultimately, when they try to fix it their way, they cause more pain and suffering. And so we have to have Jesus Christ. We have to have the cross. Nobody's going to pass this test alone. No one's going to do it without Jesus. We have to recognize that. For some of us, it's a little bit of humility. For some of us, it's hope. For some of us, it includes both of those things simultaneously. And for some of us, it's really recognizing that it's not a person that shall pass the test, but God's grace every time. God's grace that unmerited favor for humankind, for every person to be loved, to be forgiven, and to have hope that they will see the day when sin ceases, sorrow, sickness, and death are eradicated, and we all feast at God's heavenly table for all time. We're not going to pass the test, but we don't have to. That's the blessing of Jesus Christ. That's what's at stake on Good Friday. When all of us are like, you know what, Good Friday, that's such a downer service. I don't want to go to Good Friday. Let's just go to Easter. I understand that. Nobody really wants to bask in the sin. Nobody really wants to experience the darkness of that moment. Nobody really wants to. But he didn't want to either. And he still did it. So as we are approaching Lent in that time of the year when 
all Christians are asked by God and the movement of the Holy Spirit to be a little introspective and look and see who are we really this day? How far have we come, but how far do we have to go? And what is it that I need to work on and address this Lent, Lord, so that when we celebrate the resurrection of the dead of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I leave something in that tomb that I don't need anymore. What is it, Almighty God? But before we can get to Easter, we have to have the cross. Everything about God is given to us through the cross. And so when people are struggling and saying, I don't know that I can do this, Jesus has done the heavy lifting. And Jesus got off of that cross and is with us now. And Jesus is not going to let you do this alone. I am not going to let it, you do it alone. We are not going to let you do it alone. And we will do all in our power and rely on God to overcome our weaknesses. Because that's what it means to be a Christian. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.